Please join with me in prayer. Spirit of the living God, guide us now. Amen. My grandmother grew up in New Jersey, and it's hard to imagine a more radical shift in setting and culture than when she married my granddad and they moved to the Mojave Desert where they homesteaded in the early 1920s. My granddad was sheriff of Newhall, and every weekend he would drive to the homestead, bringing with him the precious water that would enable my grandmother and baby Jack, my father, to make it through another week. With the profits from selling their homestead, they purchased the alfalfa ranch located on rural Route 1 in Lancaster, where they raised their four children in a three-generational home. As a child, getting to go to the ranch was always the best trip I could imagine. Looking back, I now realize there was nothing plush about that home with its old linoleum floors, unheated attic sleeping quarters, and no indoor plumbing. But it was the unconditional love of my grandmother that made it the best place in my young world. On Thanksgiving, we would gather around the table with every leaf, adding, but not quite enough length, so we had to bring in the green kitchen table tacked on to the end. There wasn't a lot of elbow room as we gathered grandparents, great-grandparents, along with the folks from Glendale referred to as the city cousins. The hired ranch hands, men who had no family but ours, were also squeezed in. Spatty, the only dog allowed in the house, was always stationed under the table near the grandchildren's chairs. And then we would join hands and offer the prayer that is the only blessing I knew throughout my childhood. It would begin with an elongated first word to assure that everybody was focused and ready. For health and food and love and friends and everything that goodness sends, we thank the Heavenly Father, amen. Whether we are aware of it or not, ritual plays a strong role in our family life and in our community life. It helps form our values, and the next generation learns from those values. It was some years ago that I sat with the choir director of the church I served in Minneapolis. We were seated in a local restaurant waiting for the rabbi and the cantor from Temple Beth Israel to join us for breakfast. We were both nervous, unsure as to whether our guests would arrive and unsure of how our idea had been received. John, the music director, had asked the cantor to consider forming a joint choir of our two congregations to perform the Holocaust Cantata. What started off as a somewhat stiff conversation slowly began to warm up 
and we left believing that we would indeed form a partnership. The shared event began at Judson Church, where I served as pastor, with the plan that we would have the second service at Temple Beth Israel the following Friday at Shabbat. The last time I remember today's Deuteronomy text being read was at that shared service in October. The two congregations gathered in friendship clusters around the sanctuary. There was nervous tension. It did not feel like a familiar morning because it wasn't. The cantor got up and blew the ram's horn, and following my words in English, he chanted the Shema in Hebrew, Hear, O Israel. This is the prayer that was and has been offered generation after generation. It calls the community together. It holds the highest value. Yes, the call is to love God, but it demands more. It demands passing on our faith. Mark's Gospel tells us the story of one of the religious officials who asked Jesus what he believes is the most important commandment. And Jesus quotes the Shema, which means hear, which is the first word of the Deuteronomy text, which a devout Jew would have repeated at least twice a day. Over and over, Jesus had pointed out where he differs with the temple leadership. Matthew's Gospel tells this story as a test. But I'm wondering if the Mark Gospel lesson doesn't invite us to view the scribe as one who enters into an honest discourse with Jesus. Over and over, Jesus has pointed out where he differs with the temple leadership. He has overturned tables and driven people out of the temple. There has been an ongoing divide between the chief priests, scribes, and the elders who have constantly questioned Jesus' authority. But Jesus' point is that the love of God motivates people to shift their values, their priorities. And action is demanded. Love of God with all your heart and strength and soul leads. Jesus teaches to the next step, loving your neighbor. I suspect that the scribe knew it was truth, but it was such a hard truth that he could not deny it, and he certainly didn't want to extend the conversation. In terms of Christian symbols, the table with its Bread and cup of blessing holds great meaning for me. I love the words of Brian Wren's song, Break the Bread of Belonging. Make a space for the strangers. Give them the right to belong. I wish the next verses from Mark's Gospel would assure us that it is often the most challenging work we do, adding a leaf to the table often demands working in ways that are most challenging and often demands risk-taking. When I stood before the congregation on that shared Sunday morning with Temple Beth Israel, 
None of us knew how the Holocaust cantata would be received. It is made up of music and letters that were written and hidden by those in various concentration camps. The cantata was put together to honor them, the six million Jews that were killed. I hope that we would be seen as allies coming together with respect and honor of those millions who had been lost. Somewhere during the power of the music, a shift took place. We had begun by sticking with the safety of our own groups in the sanctuary, but at the end of the music, there was the unity that comes with shared lament. We joined together downstairs where Mary Newman, the last surviving member of Temple Beth Israel to have survived the Holocaust, was our guest speaker. She was to be interviewed by Rabbi Zimmerman. I sat at her table and she leaned over to me and she let me know that the music had shaken her. It had brought back memories painful memories, and she was, as she put it, jittery. The room had never been more silent. Both congregations attentive to every vulnerable memory that Mary sought to convey to us. I watched as she pulled back her sleeve to uncover the camp number tattooed on her arm. The pain of her journey was wrapped in her warm, gracious, and humorous personality. I took note that the rabbi was stunned by some of the new memories that were being shared. Mary talked about how the music had taken her back into the camp, and as she shared the stories, tears flowed around the room. Upon closing our morning together, I joined Mary and some of the other temple women. Mary reached into her purse and pulled out a sheaf of photos and handed them to me. They had been taken by a British photojournalist. He had given them to her on the day of her release. They had been offered to her in the name of truth-telling. They had been placed in her hands to tell the world. Were they familiar from others I have seen? Yes. But on that day, standing in the church I served, I stood with the only Holocaust survivor I have personally met. I looked at horrendous photos of her prison, her bunks, her fellow prisoners, skeleton-like people, three and four deep, on bunks stacked three slabs high. In that moment, I knew I was now a witness. I experienced the powerful mandate to never stop telling her story. Mary Newman died last year at the age of 96. We are in the midst 
of political battles in our country over education regarding slavery. We are stepping out as a congregation to go deeper in our understanding of racism. We are seeking to educate ourselves about the doctrine of discovery and learn more about the Native American peoples who were decimated and uprooted as the area was settled. And 31 of our states do not require Holocaust education. We have a mandate to welcome the stranger. And sometimes we are brave enough to welcome them to our dinner table. However, our churches also have a mandate to extend our table and to seek to join with those who are speaking the truth in the world. It demands that we seek to determine where and how to become partners and allies in order to speak God's truth. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Portland Mennonite Church. Hear, O world. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Amen.